you're listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast, where the forecast here is always compelling as we discuss real-life challenges, successes, and stories from the journey to Hybrid Cloud with your host, Andre Tost. All right, welcome everyone to this episode of the Hybrid Cloud Podcast. Today, I am happy to welcome an old friend of mine, Rosalind Ratcliffe. Rosalind is an IBM fellow and she leads the topic of DevSecOps as part of the IBM CIO office. And obviously we'll talk about that some more. So thanks a lot for coming today, Rosalind. I'm happy to be here. It's always fun to talk to you. As always, we'll start out by doing introductions. So if you could maybe give us an overview into your professional history, as in what are the kinds of things you've done within IBM or maybe outside of IBM and what is your job today? I'm a long-time IBMer, I guess, or a short time, depending on how you put it. I've only been here 35 years. In my 35 years in IBM, I've held various opportunities. It's been an opportunity, a challenge to do as much different jobs as I could within one company. So I started with ISPF development, working on our mainframe, doing assembler programming. I started there in the very beginning, but I've spent time in Kibbley Services when I was deploying systems management software. I spent time with user interface design, helping design a standard for users back before we had the standards we had today. It was in the early days of OS2 and the early days of Windows. So we wanted some consistency Unix systems were all sorts of different kind of user interfaces. And so we came up with the common user access and then ended up working with the IEEE to standardize UI. Things like Control-C, Control-V, Control-X that we all know today is thanks to that standards work. So I got to have some real fun early in my career. I worked in building systems management tools and the SOA management strategy, which might be why I spent as much time with you in the field, working with clients around SOA management and the transformation to services back then. I moved into application development tooling with our rational group and built application development tooling. And that's when I started working on transforming ZOS to be the modern environment it really should be, making sure that people could realize that ZOS really is a modern platform, that you can do DevOps with ZOS, that you really can do the same kind of development for that environment, that all the modern languages work on that platform, and really trying to change the perception of ZOS in the world. And that's how I got to IBM Fellow, making ZOS DevOpsable in my current role because I'd managed to really move the needle from the standpoint of the perception of Z. I came in to really build a showcase for hybrid cloud in the CIO. And so we really want to demonstrate for the world what hybrid cloud really means, how it really can work, and how we can, as IBM, be a really good showcase for that. Okay, that's a fantastic lead. In. I mean, there was a couple of things there I want to poke on a bit more maybe later, but it was a great lead into my next question, which is, so what is the hybrid cloud to you? What's kind of your elevator pitch about the hybrid cloud? When I think about hybrid cloud, it really is 
We're going to be running on-prem and in cloud data centers. We're going to be running on multiple hardware system types. And we really want to take advantage of fit-for-purpose running workloads. And so in our hybrid cloud, we have ZOS, we have ZVM, we have OpenShift running across XZP so that we can provide the set of capabilities that our applications need. We have our on-prem data centers and we're connected into IBM Cloud and we run SaaS in other cloud environments. So it really is this large environment allowing us to run our applications where it makes the most sense for business value. Okay. I like that definition. And by the way, I think pretty soon we're going to add to that when you said, you know, X, P, and Z, we're going to add quantum to that equation as well, right? When there's just been some announcements in that space and obviously some rapid evolutions there. So I think this whole notion of quantum computing is based on this idea of hybrid cloud by having fit-for-purpose environments to run your workloads on. Before we poke a bit more at the job that you have today, let's take a step back here. And it sounds a bit like you've been in and out of mainframe land across your career. That seems uncommon. I don't think there's many people that have worked within the mainframe space and outside of it kind of at the same time. So how did that happen? I think combination of being lucky or wanting new changes or opportunities or, I don't know, IBM is a large enough company that you could do just about anything. And so I think it's a combination of those things. When I started in Z with ISPF, I was actually working on standardization of the user interface for the Z environment too. So standardizing for Z and I, and then the distributed world as well. And so it kind of brought me into some of the distributed world when we did systems management work. Well, Z's there, it has to be there, but we've also got all these other things that need to be part of. I think really the thing that makes all of the work that I've done common is I've always worked with large enterprises. So the largest banks, insurance companies, retailers, et cetera, the largest companies, airlines, take your choice. Those companies are large enterprises. They run all sorts of systems. And so you need to understand all of the systems in order to work with them. And so I also understand and appreciate the value of Z and therefore didn't want to get too far away from it. Okay. How does that look when you talk to these enterprises? And specifically, I mean, maybe not so much the management part of it, but the application development part of it. And that'll get us into DevOps, of course. Two, do you find that these enterprises have application developers that also go across these platforms? Or do they usually have siloed organizations? There's like the mainframe guys and there's the so-called distributed guys. Unfortunately, we are still mostly mainframe guys versus distributed guys. I really hate it. I don't see why we do it. But most organizations still have that kind of split because they think they're so different. Because mainframe works that way and distributed does these things in these fancy new ways. Well, 
that's because of historical reasons. Historically, mainframe development worked a specific way because it was a shared system and all sorts of reasons. It doesn't have to be that way. The development process can be exactly the same whether or not I'm doing COBOL or PL1 or Java. And so it is important to bring those teams together, but many enterprises still have them remarkably separated. And it's a perception of the skills issue that causes this problem. Even in the CIO, we have mainframe teams and distributed teams in many cases. But we have some that have come together and said, okay, I've got a distributed front end, a mainframe back end. How about I work together better? And so there are places that do it better in the sense of coming together, but many large enterprises still have that brick wall separation. But isn't it true that most of the application development for ZOS, for example, would be in the languages you mentioned, right? COBOL or PL1. And I would assume there's just not that many people who can program in those languages. I don't know COBOL. I couldn't even write a hello world in COBOL. Maybe I should, but I guess I'm not, not a rare example. You're not a rare example, but as I like to tell software developers, they can't write COBOL. I've actually said that to a few and they come back the next day and say, it's just English. The point really is, if you're a software developer, you can write in any language. And COBOL is probably the easiest language in the planet to understand because it really is, especially if you're English speaking, it is just English. Move something to something, add something. It is literally English. And so it really is completely understandable. And it was written as a business language. But the other half of the sentence is, when I said Java, I said it, didn't even think about it. You translated Java distributed. I actually meant Java Z because Java has been on Z for as long as I can remember, almost. It's been there for a very long time and it's very efficient running on Z. So there's no reason you can't use Java on Z. Yes, a lot of the traditional applications are written in COBOL or PO1. And that's for lots of reasons. COBOL, because it was a business language. People didn't have to be software developers to write applications and they could write business rules more effectively in COBOL. And so we ended up with lots of COBOL. But it also does math slightly differently. Like it actually understands math very well when it comes to decimal point math. And so it's really handy that your bank account balance is actually always correct to the cent. Something we all kind of care about. So let me get back to something you said. Java can run on Z. And I'm going to show a bit of my ignorance here in this field. I always thought when it comes to more quote, modern applications that are written, for example, in Java that use modern, you know, application servers or messaging middleware of any sort. If I run that on the mainframe, that would get me into Z Linux as opposed to ZOS. So how do you position that? No, ZOS has been able to run Java. In fact, it's had the Unix system services side of the ZOS world for a very long time. That's where the TCP IP stack runs. We've had Unix system services in the environment. I can SSH in, I can 
use a standard terminal that you would be familiar with on any other system, it allows you to work with the system in a way that you would be much more familiar with for any other Linux or Unix system. There are some differences. Unix system services is actually a POSIX compliant environment and most Unixes are not. And so there are some differences in that environment, but because it's there and it's an integral part of ZOS, you can run Java, you can run WebSphere, Liberty, and we ran Apache apps on the system. You've got MQ. Most of the things that you would be familiar with, or many of the things that you'd be familiar with, also run on ZOS. Now, it doesn't mean you have to run it there. You could run it on Linux on Z if you wanted in a container. You could run it in a container in ZCX running inside ZOS, which is another way to run Linux on Z inside a ZOS environment. But you can just run it native as part of ZOS, and then it works with the same workload manager. Your applications are tightly integrated or could be tightly integrated if you needed to. And it can make it easier to have the application perform better without network traffic. Now, you can run it on Linux on Z and you still reduce that network connectivity. But why have to spin up a Linux environment if you don't want to? You can put it in ZOS. It's a choice. Okay. Now, getting to the DevOps part of the equation here. So to me... Obviously, it's as always, it's people, process, technology, right? When I want to do DevOps and there's a certain discipline that I apply to how I not just develop, but also maintain and manage my application portfolio. And I guess based on everything you just said, you can make a case. It doesn't matter where the application ultimately ends up. You apply the same discipline and characteristics and so forth. But is it true that the kind of the tool chain, so when it comes to the DevOps technology, right? That I think of that as tool chains that help me carry my software across its life cycle, so to speak. Are the tool chains the same between these environments? Yeah, that is one of the things that took some work to make that true, but that has been true for the last number of years. We had Git ported to ZOS, which was one of the fundamental pieces. Many people use Git as their source code manager, so that's fine. It works. Most of the pipelines can work with ZOS. We have clients who are using, I mean, I'll, I'll do a strange one, Azure DevOps. So they're using an Azure DevOps pipeline and they're building their traditional COBOL and PL1 with the Azure DevOps pipeline. They need a modern IDE that understands COBOL or PL1 but it connects into Git. They have modern build tools that build it on the platform. And from a developer's perspective, I don't care. I'm just writing code and the pipeline delivers it for me. So one thing I'm curious to hear your perspective on is that we seem to have gone, and this is now stepping away from this whole mainframe versus non-mainframe. In DevOps, uh, we used to call it DevOps. Now we call it DevSecOps. So that's been kind of the a major evolution in this space, I suppose, to make security a first-class citizen within that world. How did that come about? Well, I think part of the problem is that when people heard DevOps, they really thought it was DevOps. It was DevOps. And they 
weren't realizing that DevOps is really just a short thing to say, I really need to bring everything together. And as I joke, it's probably biz, dev, sec, QA, inf, ops, because you need everybody. You need to break down all of the silos. But the real reason I think sec gets added as often as it does now is because of the security problem we all have, which is too many people are trying to break into too many different things and software is everywhere. A lot of open source software is being used, which is a good thing, but then there are vulnerabilities that get discovered and have to be remediated. So we all have to think that security is important and putting it in people's faces with DevSecOps helps remind them that we have to think about security from the very beginning. We really should be doing security by design across the board and think about it in every aspect of what we do. But the other reason it's being added is because when people think about DevOps, they think about pipelines, they think about tooling. And if you can add the security tooling to your pipeline, then you get better compliance. You have it in someone's face right away. You build your pipeline, you build your code, you get the security information at the very beginning. So you get that feedback right away. And so that helps, hopefully, with a focus on making sure that we're building secure software. To me, DevSecOps is all about automation and separation of concern. And it comes back to what you just said. I'm writing code without necessarily having to worry about what architecture it will land on. Security is kind of similar, is that I can add tools to my tool chain it will take some of that burden away from me and just automate it in the process so that there's less burden on the developer to address these concerns. That is a really important point. If we think about the last DevOps Enterprise Summit that happened in, in a lot of the industry discussions right now, there's a lot of conversation about this developer platform experience, the developer platform team, developer platform, however they want to call it, but it's all around this idea of putting these tools together in the tool chain and providing it to an organization to help simplify the security challenges, help simplify the process so every single development team doesn't have to do the work. It's done for them in the large enterprise, and they can take advantage of it, and they can focus on building business value instead of focus on the tooling itself. After having worked with many of the largest enterprises, what do you think is the degree of maturity that we've reached as an industry in this respect? Are we still at the beginning or are we pretty well along the way? I think it depends on the organization. And I think some of the companies who acknowledge that they are software companies are generally farther along than the companies who say, their business is not software. And there are auto manufacturers who say their business is software. So I'm not saying it's IT companies versus non-IT companies. Those that acknowledge that their business core is software are farther along in acknowledging they have to make this change. And then there are plenty of people who don't see software as their core business. They still see it as this other stuff 
and they don't seem to be quite as far along in recognizing this change and the maturity of sec as part of it. It's still an afterthought. And afterthoughts are not a great idea when it comes to security. Now, let me take this back to your current job. So I guess you've kind of moved from being the IT provider to being the IT consumer or being the provider where your own company is your only customer, which I find interesting because it must feel strange, right? That now you're not working with customers anymore. You're working with your own company. And that must be frustrating at times, I assume, because IBM is a very large enterprise. So tell us a bit more about how this goes. I mean, did you basically change sides? Does it feel now like what it would feel if you had moved over to one of those large enterprises? Yeah. So as we call it, we're client zero and we really want to be client zero. So I do want to be in a sense, a client and we do act like a client, open PMRs, fix the problem. We really are a client of technology, but we're also the provider of technology to all of IBM. And I sort of knew how large the CIO was. I logically knew they ran a lot of systems. But when you actually move in, you start thinking about the fact that, okay, we run payroll, we run supply chain, we run the sales plan, the significance of what the CIO runs. And it's a very large organization. The IBM CIO organization is larger than many IT companies. It's a really large organization because we run so much. IBM is unusual. We're not, you know, like some of the IT companies that are software only. We're software and hardware, multiple kinds of hardware and services. We've got a lot of businesses that have to be run. And so it is a significant change. It is interesting to be a client and say, no, I don't have to build that software. I have to use software and it has to bring value to the business. So I don't want to do things that don't bring value to the business. We're building a developer experience team because there's no good reason for us to have every development team building their own pipeline. We're building one so the CIO can take advantage of that. There are lots of things that Yes, it's fun to be on the client side, and it's especially fun when you get to be client zero. So it's really close to say, no, I need you to do something slightly different, please. And does that also mean that we have, and I, I, maybe I should know this, but I don't, do we have a large internal development organization that is creating software for internal use only? We have approximately 6,000 developers within the CIO for building, maintaining, and running the applications that support all of IBM. And I assume, by the way, that that includes mainframes, right? Yeah, we have only 615 approximately mainframe applications that do small things like data warehousing of large client information, of payroll, a lot of very important things. We want to use Z for what it's intended for. It is our secure, reliable system that will always be on. That's what we want to use it for. We're focusing on providing the capabilities that it's very good at, a large data server, large transaction processing, those kinds of things. We run on Z because it makes sense. 
I would assume that obviously DevSecOps helps with that, that we're also at least in part going through this journey to cloud that the whole industry is going through by offloading applications where it makes sense, you know, into public clouds, for example. Is that true? So reality is Z was the first cloud. It's the best cloud. Okay, you can see my Z bias is coming through remarkably well. But Z was the first cloud, and it is remarkably cloud-like in every way other than usually self-service. And what we're trying to do in the CIO office is really change that mindset and that way of working to say you really can get Z functions you can provide them, you can have them. And it isn't this challenge of go getting a ticket to go get somebody to do something for you. We really want to make that simpler and easier so that Z is the target for large data that I need highly secure, highly available. We're not trying to move off Z. We're moving things back onto Z in some cases because it makes more sense because it's large-scale data. I need to do large-scale processing. Because we now have the Telem processor with AI built in, I can be more efficient and more effective. And I've got the Z hardware. Yes, I have to buy Z hardware just like everybody else. I've got a set of systems. I don't have the latest and greatest because our clients get them first. This is the one place where being client zero is maybe not an advantage right now. <laughs> The Z16s are going to all the clients. I'm hoping, or our plan is, that we will get Z next early. So we'll be able to do things on the early machine. But there's no business value in rewriting an application that works well and is running on a ZOS environment. If the business process is totally changing, then yes, it makes sense. I need to look at where that thing should run. We also do use a number of SaaS providers. We do run a very large SAP environment, actually, inside IBM. Our SAP actually today runs on Z as well. So we're trying to do the right thing for the application. There are some things that make a lot of sense that are in public cloud because I need to spin it up. I need to do a set of things. It just makes sense. I'm using the service that's available in the cloud. Absolutely. So we're not not using cloud. We're using the whole hybrid cloud, ZOS, IBM public cloud services where they are to make sure we're optimizing our applications and not wasting time building things that exist. How much do you still get to talk to external customers about all this? Because you said we're client zero. We're probably our own best customer reference as an example. So you spend a lot of time with telling other companies how we do these things within IBM? We are doing more of that now. I still spend some amount of time with external clients to tell the story. I'm happy to tell the story because I can talk about how we're doing it. It's not the only way in some cases that we've chosen Tecton as our pipeline because for many reasons, it's what we're ending up to use. Everybody's not going to use Tecton, but we can tell the stories of how we got there, what we did, why are we choosing this. We can tell the stories of what we're running on the system. And in particular, we really are transforming ZOS to be infrastructure as code based. So we can really simplify 
management processes. We can bring on younger people who can do automation and Python rather than necessarily having to make people learn JCL and ISPF. There's no reason to do that. You can automate with Python. And so we really do spend some time talking externally about it, presenting about it to get more people to see that we really can show how all of this capability can work together. And as we get farther along, I've only been in the CIO about a year now. As we get farther along, we'll have even more stories and more showcases. We're running a set of cloud packs today in our environment and getting value out of them. We'll continue to talk about the value we get from the products and capabilities that we run internally. Unfortunately, we're slowly running out of time here, but I don't want to let you go before asking if you could give us an example of something really cool that you're involved in right now, something that gets you excited to uh, get to work in the morning. So as I mentioned a minute ago, infrastructure is code for ZOS. One of the things that I wanted to do working with clients was really get them to understand that we could consider a ZOS pipeline and really like we have application pipelines, like you have pipelines that build applications and put them in containers, I can do ZOS the same way. I can have a fully automated ZOS build and a ZOS environment. And we're building that today. We're going to make it work. And we're going to run a very highly efficient, very large ZOS environment and have a zero trust environment with no system programmers mucking in the system. It's all going to be done through automation. This is a huge change. And when we accomplish it, we'll be talking about it to others so they can get the same value out of the system. So it's absolutely exciting. I've been able to bring in new people into the org to help build this. And it's what keeps me going every day to think I'm going to be able to actually build this and show the world that it's possible and then make the capabilities available for everybody else. Very cool. In fact, we were talking about this the other day that I always ask this question at the end of each podcast episode, where we're thinking that's when we learn about things that then make me immediately want to dive a little deeper in, but then unfortunately we're out of time. So maybe I should start with that question in the future, but it also leaves us to maybe we'll get back together in a future episode and zoom in on that a little bit and hear more about that. So with that, we're going to wrap it up for today. Thanks so much for coming, Rosalind. That was some great insight you shared there. Happy to be here. It's always fun to talk about what we're doing. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening and hope to see you all soon. Bye-bye.